Welcome to Life Fire Layout, the podcast where we bring the world of public safety to your listening device. I'm your host, Prescott Natto, and I have two fantastic guests with me today from the American Red Cross. I would like to introduce Michaela and Lindsay. Um, tell us a little bit about yourselves, if you would be so kind. Sure thing. So I'm Michaela. Um, I am the disaster program manager for Northern Vermont. So I oversee the northern eight counties of Vermont. And so anything that has to do with disaster, home fire campaign, responding to home fires, you name it, that is my job, my lane. Um, and Lindsay is my counterpart to the south. Tell us about yourself, Lindsay. Hi, so I'm Lindsay. Um, what she said um, I am going to bounce it back to Michaela, too, so she can tell you a little more about herself. That is not the Red Cross. <laughs> well, so, yeah. go ahead. Uh, let's see. Um, originally from New York. Yes. Moved to Vermont at the beginning of 2023, myself and my pup. So we live in the mountains of northern Vermont, just north of Stowe, mm. and currently adjusting to, to what it means to be a mountain girl, mm. as I am uh, affectionately been called a flatlander. So it uh, didn't even last 24 hours in the state before uh, I had a woman go, you're not from here, are you? So sure enough, just uh, getting settled into Vermont and what that means uh, to work here, to live here. Um, and I've been really graciously accepted as an honorary New Englander. So it's great to That's be here. Good. Yeah. What's your pup's name? Zeus. Zeus. And he's got a brother named Sushi. So he got Zeus and Sushi. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Love dogs. Love dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay, back to you. All right. So I'm a native Vermonter. Um, I was here until I was 18. I moved away for 10 years and I just got back in 2021. Um, I live up here in northern Vermont, even though I color, cover southern Vermont. But I live up here with my significant other and our two dogs, Wrigley and Peanut. Nice, nice. Well, welcome. Here we are at the Burlington chapter of the Red Cross, which, as it turns out, I've learned is, I guess, the, the only office in the state right now. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the Red Cross doesn't cover the entire length of Vermont, width of Vermont, every portion of Vermont. Uh, you guys, I've learned a lot over these past few weeks um, since what we're going to uh, sort of talk about here is uh, some of the major flooding that occurred in july and how the american red cross really stepped it up uh, like they always do in disasters um but i've learned a ton about the american red cross outside of the blood services and let's be honest for me prior to that even as a fire captain i i knew about the home fire campaign i've worked with the sound the alarm um, and some really neat processes like that but i didn't realize the true breadth of the red cross so let's let's talk uh, a little bit about that by way of the disaster that hit Vermont um, very unexpectedly in July. Thousand year, whatever you want to call it, flood, super unexpected, no name storm, right? Didn't even have, it wasn't as if, you know, obviously meteorologists were tracking it, but next thing you know, it's on our doorstep dumping just feet of water. And next thing you know, um, a lot of folks are stuck in some pretty awful situations um where did you guys come into that you know everything from notification to then how did that look for you as responders so i'll go ahead and start the story because it actually starts with me um so with the red cross we actually have our own uh it's called duty officer but it's our own dispatch system and so on the morning of july 10th the storm had actually technically started on sunday the 9th 
with rain starting to fall. But it wasn't until about 12 hours into the storm, the individuals started calling into Red Cross seeking assistance. And so with our duty officers, we have individuals on 24 seven, 365 uh, to receive notification um, should somebody have a disaster in their area. And so the very first call came in at 6 a.m. pretty much on the dot from a homeowner in Southern Vermont um, who was witnessing water continue to rise into their home and were worried about how to get out and where could they go. So it was the very first call at 6 a.m. and that kind of started this um, domino effect. So the first thing I did is, because I kind of realized within that first call, I had the next one within less than 15 minutes. And I was like, okay, this is a lot bigger than it looks because what you can obviously see in your own area looking at my own window certainly wasn't what everyone else was was seeing and, and experiencing. Um, and this first person was based in Wyndham County. And so here I am based up and living in Lamoille County. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it's definitely coming down, but of course not realizing you know, topographics and geography and where is that water gonna go? It's gonna go down, it's gonna go south. Um, and so we started making phone calls to leadership. And so I'm calling what we have as, we have a, a tier system. So there's always a catch-all um, of who the next person is in the chain uh, to, to call up and to scale up an operation. Um, and so I was the first on to say, this is hitting Vermont, so this is going to affect Lindsay and I. We're going to need help because it was just like, this is going to start and this is just going to continue to go. We have no idea what we're planning for. So within the first couple of hours, uh, leadership put together, um, we had a, a regional meeting. So our region is made up of Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. And so we have paid staff across the board and everybody kind of fills a role and a function when we scale up a disaster. And so I called John Montez, uh, who's our regional disaster officer, and I said, all right, here we go, you know, bootstraps up. We were less than a month after we had just had a level two disaster uh, in Maine. We had a big multifamily fire, so we were all kind of like, hoping this is gonna go a little bit easier in, in scaling up. We had no idea how big it was gonna get. And so uh, he started the process getting everybody on. So we, we had back-to-back -back meetings. First one was at 8 a.m. in the morning, and we're all just kind of like, keeping an eye out, we were starting to get people placed in the EOC because they were going to be you know, opening that up. And it was kind of like, all right, so, so what are we going to do? And we already knew by, I want to say noon, the state had already decided on we're going to need a regional shelter, where are we going to put it? And so we, the first shelter we always, always open in the state of Vermont is in Barrie because it's smack dab center of 89. Um, when it comes to something outside of you know the populated areas, we always usually have one in Rutland and Burlington for cold weather um, but when it comes to a regional area that's the best place in the state you know good direction from both sides so we were starting to call our teams or i'm still at home at this point um, we had a duty officer step in because uh, i was going to be taking over whatever my functional role is so normally i oversee recovery um, for our team in the region so i was already stepping into that role but also as the local dpm we become um, directors of response so we already knew it was already affecting both her area and mine as we were seeing where the calls were coming from. And we were having to push back on some of these towns, these individuals, and let them know, hey, you know, please wait, please listen, keep out for VT alerts, and uh, what, what is the state doing? Turn on your news, turn on your radio, you know, go to your local fire department, who's gonna have more than likely their local EOCs open. That's gonna be the best place as of right now because we have to follow the chain of command. And we definitely learned post-floods, we'll get into later on, just kind of how that breakdown of communication uh, had occurred because people didn't know. So opening up what we're gonna do in the future anyways. But um, in that first little bit, it was it was a little bit of everybody everywhere. And so we were relying on our local teams trying to call to get staffing for that shelter. And we were only telling our teams, uh, we're gonna need you for 24 hours. 
because we had no idea it was going to ramp up as fast and as quick as it did. And so um, by two o'clock that afternoon, I packed a bag for 72 hours. I packed enough food for Zeus for 72 hours because I was heading to Lindsay because I could already see I had 511 up and I was looking at the roads that were shutting down. And I was like, if I don't get out of here, I already know the low lying areas and the whole way that I take to get to where she lives um, is Route 15. So I knew all, all along the Moyle River. So I said, if I'm going to get out, I'm going to get out now. So I packed my bag, packed up Zeus, got in the truck. My landlords weren't home. They were in New Jersey. Their brother, who's normally there, was also on vacation because they own a, a, a business. And so they were taking their yearly yearly trip. They were gone. And I was like, well, pack up what I can. I have no idea what I'm coming back to. And I got out. And within two hours of me arriving to her house, this was 4 o'clock in the evening, we were getting ready to leave her house. I looked at 511, and I saw that every single road in direction to my house was shut down. When I left her house, when I was coming through Cambridge, the water was already at the side of the road. And that was the first section to shut down, was uh, Vermont 15 uh, west. And then 100 south closed and 12 closed. So those were, would have been my only ways to get out. So I was at her house. We loaded up. And then um, we were told, go ahead and pick up a trailer because we're going to need additional cots because we kept getting calls from our team that was able to make it to open the shelter that, hey, there's 40 more. There's 10 more. They're evacuating a hotel. They're evacuating a trailer park. Um, the fire department is here now. They got flooded out. So we have the fire and police department that are also sharing the Barry Auditorium. And it was like it got out of hand very quick. And at that point, that was the only shelter we had open. So our jobs and what we were going to go do was to get an additional sheltering trailer. And we don't actually keep a sheltering trailer in Burlington. So the closest one is Heinsburg. So we're going to like, all right, we're going to grab the pickup truck from here in Burlington, which is our tow vehicle. And we're headed down. We're going to pick it up. And we're going to arrive with food and supplies and materials because we were hearing, you know, we have individuals that got out of that hotel that had babies. You know, I mean, we have elderly individuals that have, have you know, advanced needs. What are we going to do? And we knew that by the next day, we made agreements that we were going to have two more shelters open by the next day. So that's three total. Um, and so we we were slowly hearing that different businesses were shutting down. And as um, towns were, were shutting down and people were going home early, uh, we had a team that was at the auditorium. And at the time, we normally keep a Barry van um, at the police department, actually, for, for Red Cross. Um, and that was actually in Maine. So we had our responders that were there using personal vehicles, trying to get down the hill from the auditorium to the low-lying area where you know a grocery store is. And actually, um, they tried to, to go to a grocery store, and actually the doors were closed on them because they had been directed by you know, their headquarters to, to close because water was rising. And so here we are in Burlington and uh, going back and forth and trying to make relationships with what was still open. Uh, we, we hit up the price chopper here in Burlington before they closed because, again, we had no idea how big and where the water was going to go, how many areas were going to be affected. So everybody was kind of just shutting down and closing up shop just to be safe. And uh, went to price chopper, got as many snacks and things as we could because, again, we're still at this point trying to make it to Barry. And at that point, 81 North had shut down, but 81, 89 um, North had shut down, but 89 South was still open. So we're like, all right, we can at least make it there. We might not be able to make it out, but we'll get there and get what we need to do. And this has been an all-day thing of us running around because we keep hearing there's more people. So we're trying to gather more and more supplies. We had our uh, the 250 pickup truck fully loaded down with 30 cases of water in the back. Uh, we had the full trailer attached to us with additional um, comfort kits that we have, which are um, toiletry kits for individuals to use post-disaster that has soap and supplies in it. Um, 
blankets, all of those things, because we only had 150 cots on site at the Barry Auditorium. We had two trailers there that stay there, um, one for 100 and one for 50. And they were already opened and, and being used. And so we already knew at that point there was at least 400 individuals on site at the Barry Auditorium. Later on, we only ended up being able to capture about half of that, so a little over 200, because the next day there were some roads that opened up, people were able to go back to where they needed to go. But in that instance, we were preparing to supply materials for 400 people. And so we finally were on the road and headed towards Barry after we had gathered over $1,500 worth of McDonald's. Uh, the wonderful South Burlington McDonald's stayed open for us. They actually stopped operations. There was uh, customers in line that actually said, no, go ahead, take care of them, because they knew the importance of us getting that food. Um, this is, would have been the first hot meal for some of these people in over 12 hours since they had been evacuated from different They also areas. didn't have any water. They had no water. All we were being, I just kept getting calls from my shelter manager saying we don't have food or water for over 200 people. Oh, wow. Hmm. And this, you, you were saying, Michaela, is in essence was, we're talking 12 hours yep. spin up from, yep. you know, one call it, at 6 a.m. and next thing you know, you have over 400 people, no water. It was now dark. Yeah. And by dark. the time we went and got the, we got the trailer in the daylight mm -hmm. and we were trying to find a place. Our feeding lead, Angela, she's one of my volunteers in Southern Vermont. She's great. She was calling everybody she could. And most people, it would have taken three hours just to get Subway sandwiches. It would have taken three to four hours. And McDonald's had... We had to double our order because by the time, like you said, we, we were at like, they said for 70 people and then 30 minutes later it was over 200. And, and then it just kept. In retrospect, going. it was over 400. We just, at that moment, didn't know that. Yep. Um, so yeah, it was really difficult. And like she said, the McDonald's, if, if it weren't for them, um, we wouldn't have been able to get that food. And that's where the next part of our story comes in because they never got their food. So, so before we get to the next part, I just want to highlight one thing, which is, and for all the listeners, obviously, uh, many of the listeners have backgrounds in some form of um, emergency management or emergency services. But one thing that I really appreciated that you had, had said, and I just want to highlight, um, you went on 511, Vermont mm -hmm. 511, and you were looking at what roads were open, what roads were, roads were not open. So you also highlighted a 72-hour bag. Um, just as a very quick aside, and then I definitely want to get into uh, perhaps why they didn't get their food. Um, but, you know, for any listeners out there that perhaps don't have those things, you know, uh, neither of you knew, most Vermonters, in fact, didn't know the scope of this disaster. And yet planning for the 72 hours and mm -hmm. both of you have pets so even more so planning for not just yourself but your pet 72 hours is a great time frame and then also checking you know leveraging when you have power and internet um, before that becomes a commodity which it often does uh, checking that Vermont 511 website to say you know when is a good time to evacuate versus waiting for someone to tell you you made the conscious decision obviously you had a, a very important job to do so that sort of kicked you into high gear, but even before it kicked you into high gear, um, is there anything that you, either of you want to mention about sort of where, you know, are you required to carry a 72 hour bag or is that just decisions that you say because you're intelligent people? So my background is emergency management. Um, I was in the military. I have a degree in it and I, one of my favorite things is preparedness. There's so many entities in emergency management, you know, hazard mitigation, response, recovery, pre um, preparedness is my favorite. So I always have a go bag with me, especially in this job. Um, I learned a lot of it from her telling me, hey, by the way, if we do go somewhere and we get stuck there, you're gonna be sleeping most likely on the ground with a blanket, um, which is something something I'm used to, but 
I just, I always like to have an emergency bag with me. It's currently out in my car right now. I have a tiny apartment. So if I did have the room, I would have a go bag in my, <laughs> in my house and my car, but it normally just stays in my car because it's right next to my house. So one aspect of Red Cross that most people don't realize, so of course we're always in, in response mode, right? But we also have a whole preparedness you know, part of our part of our line of service with disaster, we have a wonderful entity. Uh, Abby is her name. She's actually based out of New Hampshire, but she oversees our preparedness programming. And what we do is we go out into communities pre-events or even as a result of a post-event, and we we educate based on you know what's the number one disaster in that area. So. For much of the Northeast, it's home fires and flood is what we mostly focus on. Um, and so what that is, is we have presentations for, for all age groups, starting from preschool, you know, all the way up. And there's different levels. And we educate individuals about putting together a go bag, having home fire escape plans. And, you know, it's a part of our home fire campaign, which you're familiar with. But that's also something we talk about is the smoke alarm, you know, basic necessities. But when it comes to flooding, um, when we talk to our adults, we talk about, you know, one gallon per person per day. Same thing for pets, one gallon per person per day. We educate individuals on keeping a minimum of 10 days of supplies in their home and a minimum of 72 hours or three days worth to have in their vehicle as well as a go bag. So I have a kit in my truck and I also have a kit that I grab and go if I, you know, should ever need it. And I actually just was on the phone with her yesterday because as we were, I was looking at the weather for the next two weeks and I saw, you know, next, next week, you know, we're going to start dropping in the 20s at night. And knowing where I live and if we get called, you know, they'd already called for for a pre-winter, you know, a pre-Halloween storm. So um, making sure that I have my go bag ready to go <laughs> because I more than likely will not be able to get back home. Um, guarantee it's probably going to happen at some point this winter. So just making sure I have that kit ready to go that has food in it for Zeus for 72 hours. But if I'm home, you know, I always make sure I have an extra case or two of water because I have well water. So if something does happen, you know, or the well dries up, what am I going to do? or clean drinking water, and that was a big thing after the floods for many weeks, for many towns. So being mindful of that and being prepared. So our preparedness presentations, we do, they can be requested by fire departments, schools. I've done nursing homes before. Um, we'll go in and we'll educate on whatever it is they're requesting, whether it's home fire, or we can switch the focus to just flooding uh, for the younger students. But with, with adults, with our Be Red Cross Ready, we'll cover all local natural disasters in their area and what they should be prepared for. Sure. I, I think what I love about that is that you cater your presentations to realistically what they will face. You Correct. could spend a whole eight hour day covering the full breadth of emergencies that, you know, uh, New England or even the United States faces. But the reality of it is Vermonters are going to face, like you said, fires and floods. Yes, there's other things. There's winter storms. There's things like that. But if they do fire and flood preparedness and they listen to those presentations, which thank you, by the way, for highlighting the fact, would it, would it be on, on uh, and we'll cover this at the very end, but um, if folks say they're listening to this and say, they say, I would like more information specifically on preparedness, I'm guessing probably just redcross.org or. Uh, so reaching out to the local connection would be beautiful. would be us. Nice. Um, we do have a request page that's actually built into the New England, um, our Red Cross page specifically. So obviously with Red Cross being all, the, all across the country, there's a broad spectrum, you know, just redcross.org. But there is one that's specific to New England that individuals can Google. And part of that, there's a whole uh, request to service and they can request us to be at a tabling event or to request us to do a presentation of some sort. And it does end up going to, we have a generalized mailbox. There's an administrative assistant out of Concord who, who looks at that, both the voicemail and the, the email system that request goes to and then sends it out to the correct entity of who will go ahead and do that presentation or, you know, look into that tabling event or whatever it might be. You so, can just type in 
Northern New England Red Cross, and yep. it's the first thing that pops up. Yep. Oh, it's the first thing. Mm-hmm. And now, now, all right, now here's the irony, right? So, you know, folks request this. They get some awesome preparedness stuff ahead of time. Uh, Red Cross has been spun up. You're at this point, uh, you're, you know, you're 12 hours-ish in. It's it's dark. You've mm-hmm. got the trailer behind you. You've got 30 cases of water loaded to bear. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, other, other things might have come in. So let's pick up the story of where that happens. You want me to take it? Sure. All right. So just to put it into perspective, while you're thinking about us in this truck, um, it's an extended cab, extended bed, 250. Um, It's a six-foot trailer. It's Lindsay. It's your girl's first time pulling a six-foot trailer. Um, And uh, to any of my leadership listening to this, you didn't hear that. Um, But the legitimately, there's bags of McDonald's, like touching Michaela's shoulder. You know, she's helping me navigate. She's looking at 511. We're driving down, and all we knew is that almost every single road south of Williston, um, well, more of south um, of the Richmond exit is is closed. Um, and the Richmond exit itself was flooding as all of the people who had their vehicles parked there found out, unfortunately. Um, but we we knew that. We were told by our leadership, and this was nobody's fault, that southbound was still open. We kept getting notifications, southbound is not open. She kept getting the alerts, southbound is not open. And we were like, they said, oh, no, it's open. So we we tried to find a route. We went around. We got back on the interstate somehow because the road we tried to go on was closed. It's starting to downpour. We're driving down southbound 89 and exit... um, Good old exit nine was coming up and it kept saying road closed, road closed. And there's still 18 wheelers going past us. Us in emergency management know some of those 18 wheelers are supposed to be there. So they're allowed to go through. Obviously the the National Guard was already involved. And um, we get up to the exit and we're like, okay, well, it's not open. It's closed. So we get off in Middlesex. And if you've ever been off exit nine in the middle of the night, you cannot see anything. It's pitch black. So we found that center road. Well, we should know that at this point we're losing service pretty much past Richmond. Oof. So we were not able to, like I was the one navigating. I had two phones in my hand plus her two. We're, we're fielding phone calls. And I should note that we lost enough service that I couldn't actually pull up 511 myself anymore. Mm-hmm. So we kept, um, our phones were on like low battery because again, we've been making phone calls all day long, both personal and our work phones. And so I was on the phone or we were on the phone with our, our team that was, they had spun up a headquarters out of Concord, New Hampshire, and they're giving us play-by-play directions using 511 of which roads are open. Because as we're coming up, we had just enough service to be on the phone with them to say, all right, we're coming upon such and such road. Um, and I still had my navigation up because, of course, you can zoom in, but it, of course, it wouldn't load me a route that would work. So we get off the exit and good old center road uh, supposedly says that it's still open. Yeah, so it says it's open, and the amazing town of Middlesex, um, Middlesex, it was not open. Mm. And there was notification of that. It was just, it was one of those days. Um, and not all of the roads can get onto 511. It's just, five, the state of Vermont was so bogged down by phone calls. Um, so this was nobody's, you know, nobody's fault. There's no, you know. So we're on Center Road and there was a car in front of us that we had lost. Um, We're driving up Center Road. It's a mountain, so it's a mountain road. So we're driving up, you know. um, Still going up. Come to find out, so Michaela and I had been working together for about four months at this point and we've become good friends. And um, little did each of us know that our worst fears is 
drowning, um, specifically in a vehicle. Yeah. So as we're driving up and my hands were as tight as they could get on that steering wheel, um, the road had been washed out almost. So I can't believe the truck fit. I can't believe the truck fit. It was basically a, there was like a pit on either side of the road. And we were just like, it's fine. We're going to keep going straight. We're going to keep going. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. This is not a two lane road. This, this is a single dirt road. Single dirt road. So anybody that lives on center road, God bless you. Um, and so we're driving up and we come out, we round this corner. We see some red lights ahead of us and we kind of just stopped pretty far back. Um, I had been a little too close. We backed up a little bit. Um, Michaela's like, no, let's back up a little bit because we don't know what's going on. So we get out and to try to explain well, you what got I looked out. Well, I got out, true. I, I was, got out. We had lost signal, got signal back. I just called our headquarters back in Concord and said, hey, we just got signal again. What's our next steps? This is where we're at. And uh, Lindsay gets out. I'm still on the phone with, with Concord saying, hey, Lindsay's got to get out. We just came upon a, a car. We're not for sure what's going we on. Don't. Hold on. So mind you, um, me being a prior 911 operator, um, my first thing is to assess anything that's in front of me. So I jump out, I grab my vest, I walk up and the car, half of the car, the right, the right front tire is completely in the ditch. So our boss, John, he always laughs because the way me and Michaela explain it is we just like put our arms out and we like turn <laughs> as if you're like, your whole body is in a ditch and your feet are sticking up at an angle because that is what this car was doing. And little did we know this road was it actually had like a two foot washout there was, was a more than that. there was a river yeah. going through this road it was already like there was, was six feet down there was tires in it they had built a bridge like the it had been washed out for a long time so this car um so i ran back to the truck and yelled i back. said i yelled back i said call 911 so she did and then i went back to try to see what we had going on so as i did that michaela walked back up to the vehicle so I am on the phone with 911, and at this point, Middlebury, which is where it would have dispatched out of, had washed out. They were literally sitting around this woman's kitchen table, had an emergency dispatch kind of center going on, and she tells me, she goes, I don't think that I'll be able to get anybody to you. And I just, I had just like silent streams going down of tears down my face, because I'm like, all right, here we go. And uh, I walk back to the car, and as I'm walking back, because she had met the woman, all of a sudden, three more doors open up on this vehicle that, mind you, is literally sitting in a washed out road. And you can all you can hear next to us, the, the dispatch can actually hear me because it sounded like we had a river next to us because the water was literally just coming down. And it was along the road and it had found this little escape where the washout was and it was continuing to get wider and wider. And out comes a husband along with the wife that Lindsay and I have been talking to and their two teenage daughters. And they had been en route to their Airbnb because the place that they had been staying had gotten washed out and these girls are you know young teenage girls and i mean they're wearing tank tops and shorts because it's a it's supposed to be a beautiful you know july night we're freezing you know what i mean because it, the temperature had dropped to the 50s it's downpouring rain and um so we so we asked them you know do you guys want to come back to the truck so i put down the gate of the truck because we walked back you know do you guys want blankets no no we're okay for right now and they said but we have to get our two cats out of the car and this vehicle is fully loaded because they had gotten out of where they were, fully loaded back up, trying to, you know, get to somewhere safe. And um, I was like, all right. And as we're there, Lindsay's talking to the mom, they're trying to assess the situation, you know, what, what could be done. And then um, other vehicles had come up behind us, because again, nobody knew that this road wasn't open. And uh, we, then we finally see, you know, the red lights and there's, <laughs> there's two engines coming up and uh, a tow truck. So, oh my gosh. The, so, um, knowing fire departments, especially in the state of Vermont, um, you know, aside from 
our awesome firefighter Prescott over here, um, most fire departments in Vermont are volunteer. And with that said, most fire chiefs work something else in the town. So um, I had introduced myself, um, let them know the situation, and um, the gentleman driving the tow truck was naturally the fire chief. Um, <laughs> and then the, his counterpart was somewhat of a town manager, um, you know, smaller towns like Middlesex, um, everybody knows everybody and you all run the town. And they looked at the vehicle, obviously there was no way they were, they couldn't get past our truck, they couldn't get to the red car. So they packed up that family and the amazing fire department let them go and sleep in the firehouse that night. Um, so what do we do with the two tiny Red Cross girls that are silently crying in front of you <laughs> that are like, it's fine, everything's great, um, <laughs> Chief. So I know you're not supposed to do this, but will you back my truck up? Because I couldn't see because of the trailer. I don't know the road. And so he And would, the one driveway that was next to us had a car that they had abandoned a Tesla, a Tesla in this driveway. <laughs> that the river's running next to and they had told this family like unfortunately your car is going to wash away you know we don't have a choice and uh we had no idea where the next the, the furthest back driveway was so this wonderful his wife was with him the fire chief's wife she backed him up with our truck and trailer both engines you know went back to the station uh, but they waited for us so they also backed out to a driveway that they could turn around and they waited for us because they were going to lead us back down and um we probably back down a quarter of a mile to the next driveway because um, we couldn't see on either side. Like we had less than probably five feet on either side of our truck that was still road that we wouldn't just go to six feet drop into a ditch. And they into backed the us mound. up. Oh. And they backed us up to a driveway, uh, full mud. I still have no idea. Put that thing in four low and we were fully loaded down and pulled us out and uh, we followed him down the mountain. Yeah, he, Ugh. the fire chief, um, he met us at the park and ride that he told me we could go park in. And he's like, no, let's go. Let's go to the firehouse. So we waited there. Um, this was about 2 a.m. at this point. I'm still getting calls from my manager. God bless his heart. His name is Leo. Um, he's a Red Cross volunteer down in very, very southern Vermont. Um, who made it. And then who made it there. And then two of her amazing um, volunteers were also there helping set up for the shelter. Three. Three. Oh, yes, we had three. See, and it's yeah. so funny. We also had blood services people um, that were doing a blood drive in Barrie. And the crazy thing is, is they got stuck there, too. And for the, the next seven weeks, you could still see the blood drive sign in hmm. the middle of Barrie Square hmm. because they had never they they still had blood um, that was there. We were actually one of our missions was to get the blood and one of the blood services people and get it back to Burlington. That also didn't happen. So what happened is. She was on the phone with our, um, he's our coworker and our boss and our coworker was um, in charge of operations for this whole operation. And he said, um, we had said, we need you to call the EOC. We're down at Middlesex Fire Department. Can the National Guard somehow get these people this food? Because it's been over 18 hours at this point that most of them haven't had a hot meal. They just got displaced, you know, um, at this point. At least we were able to get them up there, but they didn't have, I think they ended up, he, I think he was able to grab maybe one case of water and one case of Gatorade because he had no idea. He quickly stopped at the store before he went. So we were sitting at the Middlesex Fire Department for about two hours just getting to know them. And that was their EOC, nice. which was great. Um, we walked in and the EOC was right there at the fire department. But unfortunately, because of Center Road actually being closed, there was no passable road 
from northern Vermont to southern Vermont hmm. above exit 9. And the issue wasn't it was the water. It was the roads that were washed out. So, you know, it didn't make logistical sense. You know, they would have had to bring a truck with one of the boats, drop it into a section they could get through onto a road. They're not going to walk with a boat. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's three exits up from Barry. You know, and in Vermont, exits can be five miles apart. They can be 20 miles apart. And so it just it didn't make logistical sense. So by 3.30, I got a very kind of solemn phone call from Harry Shopman, who was covering as, you know what I mean, the, the the watch officer for Vermont Emergency Management. And he said to me, he goes, we can't get anybody to you and you can't get anybody to us. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so we looked at each other and we went, okay, what are we going to do? And so we knew that obviously Middlesex was going to be out and about because they were, you know, very pretty much the last fire department that was north that was still open. So they were, they had rescued, I can't even tell you what number they told us of people that day. Um, and so we were like, all right, we'll leave, we'll leave food with them. So we left two bags and you have to understand these were the McDonald's, they were tote bags, uh, the big old brown paper bags hmm. full of, we had chicken nuggets and French fries and chicken sandwiches and burgers and just the basics that we could get uh, to be sure that we would have something for everybody. Um, and we gave them some and then we started making phone calls. And One was to you of which. Mm. Yeah, but you, you were kind of, I think, already toast at that point and kind of uh, done for the day, um, but was just gonna see you know, who, who still had things that were open that we could drop off on the way and uh, end up dropping off. Uh, Lindsay made a connection, but I do wanna, uh, before going into kind of how we ended that evening, want to give a big shout out to the blood services team but because before the roads were fully shut down in Barry, they went back to that blood site because hmm. they had left the snacks and things from the blood drive there. They knew that we wouldn't be able to get to them. They went back and picked up those snacks so that there was at least something. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there wasn't really enough for everybody, but it was what they could do in the moment to just bring back and have something on scene for those people that were in that shelter. Making um, do. To get them through. You absolutely do what you got to do in the moment. Um, and I know that that is at least something that I will forever hold that go for. Of course, you know, it's, it's out of our hands. It's mother nature. We can't do what we can do. But I'll tell you what, getting repetitive phone calls of our team at that point, you know, distraught, saying, you know, there's more people here. And, you know, we've got 400 people, no food, no water for over 12 hours. I, I will tell you that that is something that I will I will always carry with me mm-hmm. or something. And just, you know, it, while while it will be hard for you to sort of reconcile, I, I do hope that happens if, yeah. eventually. And it will, because when you hear the other side mm-hmm. of those stories of the folks that in the heat of the moment, they're probably like, oh, my gosh, we're 12, 18 hours in without a hot meal or without, you know, um, even the drinking water kind of thing. There's so many other harrowing stories that whether it be the Red Cross, the fire departments, other, you know, locals helping locals that really just make uh, at the end of the day. And I want to hear how your adventure here wrapped up. But at the end of the day, uh, my biggest takeaway from this story, all the, the nuanced details of which we really have only covered a portion of, yeah. um, <laughs> it really is just the strength of Vermonters mm-hmm. and the strength of the, the Red Cross just honestly continuing on. And and the last thing I'll highlight before I want you guys to wrap up the this uh, adventure of yours is 
the strength of a team because everything one of the things you highlighted for me was when your own cellular service was to a point that you couldn't get 511 who did you you had just enough to reach out to your team who was literally giving you turn by turn you had just enough to get the 911 operator who then dispatched the folks who then can you know uh, the the town manager slash tow or uh, fire chief slash tow truck operator like these stories and there's so many more that you all ran into uh, whether it be red cross related and especially mm -hmm. after the stories come out um this state that we live in yes. and the organization that you're a part of is amazing so fin i'm going to turn it back over to you guys yeah so just quickly um i used to dispatch for south burlington and i know that they're obviously um franklin county and chittenden county um got very lucky in this instance and i'm, I'm grateful but i had called them and i said um is it okay if i pull up and drop some stuff off to you um, because sometimes, depending on, um, there is some paid staff there as well for fire department, but just to, I was like, you can let the fire department know we have it. But at that point, it had started to downpour in Burlington. So this was 4.30 at this point, almost 5. Um, and I would like to mention, since you said the team, Frank and David, who um, are, um, David has since left, but Frank is still part of our team here in Northern New England up in Maine. And they wouldn't, including John, they would not go to sleep until we were off the mountain. So John was able to finally um, you know, rest his head down. And then Frank and David, two hours after they, they went to sleep, once we got to Middlesex, two hours later, they woke up and did the opposite from the south end. Frank was in the car this whole time driving to New Hampshire. And then Frank and David, they're both from Maine, ended up being the people that delivered some breakfast to the shelter that next morning. Mm -hmm. um, and another, just a couple of things, like you said, the state of Vermont, and also, so these swift water teams, it was, it was crazy for mm -hmm. her and I to see how many swift water teams were driving past us going to the danger while we were finally able to get out of the danger area. And we were really grateful for that here in Vermont. And as well as just a little local story, I don't know the person's name, one of my great friends that I used to dispatch, dispatch with lived in Montpelier. And I'm very grateful her and her wife were able to get out. Their cat was still inside and they were up to, I think she said shoulder length of water and a random citizen was in his canoe and went to her apartment to save her cat. Hmm. So just a little happy story for, yes. it's not happy to have shoulder length of water around you, but to be able to save that cat, it means a lot. Now, so these and in, in, in the the question as we sort of begin to because this story is uh, it's intense. There's there's no way around that. Um, and if you take that story and cut and paste it, so many Vermonters found themselves in a very similar situation. Mm -hmm. You guys are disaster preparedness managers, and, and and you found yourself in a spot saying it's no fault of your own. Mother Nature had different plans for you, for the state. Um, as we sort of bring things to a close, is there any, the, the two-part question, first of all, uh, what would you like, the, the question I ask all the, list, or, uh, all the uh, guests is, what would you like um, the listeners to do, quote unquote, tomorrow? Um, and then the second part of that is, is if you don't mind just highlighting it might even go hand in hand with what you're going to say. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, highlight a few of the services. Um, I know you'd mentioned preparedness, mm -hmm. um, but perhaps that the Red Cross has that they could help folks out. I'll do my little one real quick because I know you, she's really good at explaining all the services we have. Um, one of the things we do, home fire campaign, 
as well as home fire response after somebody has a home fire. So my ask is to go onto that Northern New England page for the Red Cross and sign up to get free smoke detectors. We will go anywhere in Vermont. Michaela and I will install them ourselves. Um, we, have a, we have a great team. We also work with fire departments. So get your smoke detector so we can get you out of your house. And then if you do have a home fire, let the fire department know you want to see us or call us yourself. Um, the fire departments have their own local number, but 1-800-RED-CROSS will get you there. Um, you may have to hit a couple of different numbers to get there, but we want to make sure we're getting to the whole state and the whole northern New England region if we can. And that is a service that is across the United States for the Red Cross. And then I'll let Michaela tell you about everything else. Yeah, so definitely um, with, with the fire detectors and or smoke detectors and and all of that uh, is certainly something to have um, but I think something to keep in mind for an individual who is you know whether you're single or you have a family and especially if you have young children or somebody elderly that you know of you know check on your neighbors make sure you have a network um, who's around you um, but I think making sure you have either a go bag or you have additional supplies in your home at all times um, clean drinking water is huge. Um, and again, like I mentioned at the beginning, that was something post flood that was very big in some of these smaller towns that especially have been affected by the floodwaters was clean drinking water um, because the, the, the local reservoirs and things were affected. Um, and I think just being mindful of that, knowing whether you contact your local fire department and you know where a gathering place is in your town, in your community, so that in the event you have to evacuate, where would you go? You know, where is your next biggest town? You know, paying attention. I think signing up for VT alerts is massive. Downloading, you know, any sort of alert apps. Red Cross has uh, an app that we use um, that individuals can download that keeps in touch with local communications that, that we also send out if we're gonna be opening a shelter in an area. Um, and I think being prepared is so massive because so often as individuals, we're always in response mode. We never take the time. We always say, oh, we'll do it, oh, we'll do it. You know, whether it's buying an extra case of water, whether it's checking your smoke detectors or purchasing new ones. And it always gets put in the back burner because we live in a society where it's go, 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 go. Um, and I think slowing down just enough to make sure, are you and your immediate family good to go if something were to happen to you? Because disaster doesn't choose. It doesn't plan. It happens when it's least expected. Um, and it often takes you by surprise. So that's my biggest takeaway. There's two mic drop moments for you, uh, and uh, I I legit appreciate this conversation. I think the story really drives it home uh, to me, especially, and I hope the listeners as well. It it sort of brings it truly, um, you know, into at least my heart as to really how dramatic things things were for folks. Um, we're fortunate that it turned out the way it did in many cases by the the lack of a loss of life. But um, to both of your points. Uh, disasters don't choose. And so I, I will footstomp the preparedness piece. I will footstomp. We've used in Williston, we've actually brought in the home fire campaign, used those services for uh, really, really good opportunities. So if you're in the fire service at all, whether you're an administrator or not, reach out to the Red Cross to get that home fire campaign into the department and out to your community. And from the preparedness piece, jump on the Red Cross's website, reach out to Michaela and Lindsay or your respective local contact if you're outside of the state of Vermont 
want um, and, and really uh, get involved in that regard too. Um, the last thing I'll say is I'm just so thankful. Uh, you know, we will probably later in, in this podcast um, or, you know, in the series of podcasts interview uh, a number of other guests related to this, but I'm just so thankful for both of you, what you did in July and what you continue to do for the recovery efforts. Um, and frankly, you know, between New Hampshire, Maine and Vermont, uh, what you're going to do in the future. So, uh, on behalf of all of, uh, all of us here, which is just me, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for making me feel a little good about that. Uh, thank you so very much. Thanks for being on this podcast and for all the listeners, uh, stay tuned for some more awesome, uh, episodes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>